It's important whenever we meet people to have some kind of context, whenever we have a conversation with them, it's important for us to ask a few questions to know who they are and, and various things about them so that we don't put our foot in it uh, and say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or, or cause offence or whatever. As we come into this narrative in John chapter 19, Pilate's question to Jesus is, who are you? He was one to have that conversation with Jesus because he's saying to him, look, you're standing in front of me, accused of being a troublemaker, king of the Jews. How should I relate to you? How should I be reacting to you? I'm trying to work out who you are so that I can deal with you in a way that's right and proper and not be unfair. And then Jesus quickly points out that his kingdom is not of this world. His values are not the same as ours. If his kingdom had been of this world, he says, then my followers would have come and taken you on and not allowed this to happen, not allowed me to be taken before you. They would have been protecting me. You see, Jesus was a different sort of king with upside down values compared to the world around him. In chapter 19, verse 5, we're told that he was a king who was given a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And he tells Pilate that he was born to bear witness to the truth, the truth about God, the truth about mankind, the truth about finding peace with God, the truth about life and death and about many other issues. Jesus said, he is the truth. And everyone who is committed to him and to the truth will listen to his voice. After listening to Jesus talking for those moments, Pilate comes to the conclusion and he says, I find no guilt in this man. But the people were being, they were obeying for blood and they preferred Barabbas instead and so they cried out for him and to crucify Jesus. Pilate was trying to work out who Jesus was so that he could deal with him appropriately. As we come to this Good Friday service this evening, do you feel you've worked out who Jesus is so that you might deal with him appropriately? Are you listening to what he says because he is the truth? Because in reality, our response to him tells us who we think he is. Who is Jesus on this Good Friday as we think about the one who was on the cross, the one who stood before Pilate, trying to work out who he was so he could deal with him.
Places have quite a bit of significance for us. Don't they? I, I was out on a Thursday night in Balamina. And of course, Balamina, I remember walking recently in Balamina in the People's Park. And there, um, you will, I don't know whether you know or not Balamina, but uh, maybe not. The, 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 the People's Park, the Cottage Hospital is there. And that's where I was born all those years ago. The other night, whenever I was out, I was in Lamemore House. Significant again, because that was the place <laughs> so many years ago that Ruth and I were married. And we had a reception in Lamemore House. Places can have significance, in the, and they bring back memories for us, don't they? They spark off all kinds of thoughts. They can remind us of significant events in our lives, and they can inspire us. Well, as Graham read for us, Jesus carries his cross to Golgotha, also called the place of the skull. And what it says is there they crucified him. While that statement never covers the horrors of what Jesus experienced on the cross, it roots our faith in history. That there's actually a place and an actual event that we can go back to to help us to grasp what God has done on our behalf. A place of significance that can spark off all sorts of thoughts for us, particularly as we come to a Good Friday service. Our faith is not just about a story without any factual basis. Our faith is not just something that we have imagined in our heads or somebody has thought up somewhere along the way. When we want to get right with God, when we want to know what God is like, when we want to know forgiveness, we go back to Golgotha, to the place of the skull. Because it's there that God dealt with our sin, that God revealed to us what he is like. In that physical place, we have those answers. We are able to think back with the questions that we have, with the lives that we live, to a physical place in Golgotha. Golgotha was the place where the fullest salvation was won. It was the place where the most complete forgiveness was offered. It was the place where the greatest cost was paid. The place where the greatest love was demonstrated. The place where the most significant victory was won. The place where the brightest hope was issued. And the place where the newest life was, pur was purchased.
we're also told that in this place, in this place, Scripture was fulfilled, where God's will was done. And Jesus' words, I thirst. The fact that his legs were not broken, the fact that his side was pierced, his clothing was being divided amongst the soldiers and their casting of lots are all happening because God had said that's what would happen. God is faithful to his promises. Through this, we can also be sure that what is happening is not a tragic injustice or evil people exercising their power and control, ultimately. It's part of it. Jesus is declared innocent by Pilate. He is crucified between two criminals. Satan had gripped the Jewish leaders and people so that they were not going to be satisfied until he was crucified. It seemed as if evil had triumphed. And yet scripture reminds us that God is at work in all of these events as he fulfills his plan for our salvation. As Shane reminded us earlier in Isaiah 53 verse 10, it reminds us, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. It was the Lord's will that things happened the way they did. That through these events, Jesus' life would be an offering for sin and that by his wounds, we would be healed. While we might not be able to go physically to Golgotha, we can take our minds and our hearts there as we metaphorically kneel before the cross to hand over our sin to Jesus and to realize that in his death, he offers us life. In his crucifixion, he has demonstrated his justice and his love coming together for us. Isn't that what we need to do? There they crucified him. That we need to go in our minds and physically kneel before that cross to offer everything in us to him so that he can deal with it, so we can know forgiveness and new life. Do you notice who was watching on? It's been 30 odd years since Jesus was born in the manger. Do you remember Mary being told by the Holy Spirit that she would bear a child who would be called Jesus and that this child would be special and he would bring about salvation for all? That Christmas story is, is beautiful and powerful, isn't it? how God comes and steps into this young girl's life at a very young age. So she's going to be used by God and what's, you know, what she thought was impossible, God could do. The excitement of that. But here, she's watching her son's life being taken from him. This is bereavement in very difficult circumstances. 
John is also losing one whom he loves and is very close to. I suppose the question is, is you know, how, how will they survive from now on? This trauma could ruin their lives as they try to deal with it. Some commentators suggest, and I was trying to work it out in my own head as well, Mary, they reckon, was widowed at this point and would have been in her late 40s, early 50s, possibly with limited income. Life for her was going to be pretty tough after this. And yet Jesus, in this dark and cruel moment, notices his mum. He notices John, his friend, perhaps closest. And he cares for them. He's not going to ignore his mum in fulfilling God's will. He's not going to, to ignore John either. He says to John, look, your mum. And then he says to his mum, look, your son. Jesus was caring for his mum and his friend in a very clear and a very personal way. He was joining the two of them together that they could support one another to be an encouragement in the days ahead whenever he was gone. We're told that John took Jesus' mum home from that point on to his place. Isn't that beautiful? I'm sure she was able to talk to John who had been so close to Jesus as he would have been able to provide her with stories and all sorts of things. Perhaps maybe to deal with things in a way that she just couldn't herself. And likewise her with John to bring encouragement, strength and grace. This is Jesus ministering to family and close friends even at a time of need as he sought to fulfill his father's will. I think there's a really important lesson for us in this. Isn't it all too easy to neglect family and even friends when we feel we're caught up in doing what God wants us to do? Caught up in doing what the Lord's will? Or maybe even we get stressed at something. Or we get so disappointed. Or we experience a crisis. And none of which are anything to do with family. And we get so focused on those situations that we forget about family. We push them to the margins. Jesus even in his circumstances, doesn't do that. He provides an example for us of caring for family and for friends in a time of stress and need. The truth is that Jesus is able to help us 
through his spirit to care for others even whenever we're going through a difficult time. This is what this example shows us. But as Jesus' life comes to an end, he cries out those words that we sang earlier on in How Deep the Father's Love. It is finished. As he does that, he bows his head and he gives up his spirit. If you look at those words, that he bows his head and he gives up his spirit. Jesus has voluntarily given up his life in an act of incredible self-sacrifice in order that we might have life in his name. Wow. Jesus had emphasized that to his disciples in John chapter 10. Whenever he says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one comes to take it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. It is finished. Shows us that Jesus was in control of everything that was happening. He chose to go through this experience knowing what he would accomplish. He did pray, Father, if this cup can be taken from me, then so be it. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And so this is a painful and traumatic act of self-denial as he offers his own life to rescue us who are all too often self-focused. The innocent suffering in the place of the guilty in order that we might be made clean. If Jesus is in control of this situation and is able to say it is finished, then there is nothing in my life that I need fear because the reality is that he has the last word in everything. And because he has said it is finished, his work is complete, therefore I lack nothing. It is finished is a cry of victory and not defeat. It is a cry of completeness. Nothing more needs to be said or done in relation to my salvation and my relationship with God. Nothing. Wondered if you got that this evening. Sometimes I wonder if I have actually at times. Because sometimes we have to convince ourselves, well, you need to do this and do that and do the other. Jesus says, it is finished. I have completed the work. Jesus came to accomplish the will of the Father who planned our salvation in eternity and realized it in the first century Palestine in the form of Jesus Christ. Do you know, when Satan tempts us to feel that we are not worthy to have a relationship with God, we need to remember those words. 
it's finished. When we're reminded of our weaknesses and our failures, we need to realize that Jesus said, it is finished. And your sin is dealt with. Your guilt and your shame. Your shame. When I feel the pain of certain experiences I have had and they hurt when I recall them, I need to remember that Jesus said, it is finished. I have dealt with it. And he is able to bring healing. It is finished means that Jesus is able to bring about restoration and renewal. It is finished means that I am completely accepted, loved and restored by God through faith in Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished in the cross. Amen. The cross completes the work of God and it's approved through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is through the cross and through the resurrection that we are set free to serve Jesus with all of our hearts. This is the liberating truth that Jesus was speaking about. And so this evening, we're remembering Jesus. And we're going to do that now as we share together around his table. But can I remind you of the words of Hebrews 12? Whenever it says, let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus, our King, whose kingdom is not of this world, who was crucified there at Golgotha, meets our need at his greatest point of need. Because he cried out, it is finished. What a statement to come towards the Lord's table with. To realize that these elements of bread and wine represent what Jesus did. Those words, it is finished. And so I do want to invite you to the Lord's table to share together around his table. And this evening, we're going to be accepting two people, or three people, actually. Uh, one on transfer uh, from High Kirk, uh, Stephen Adams. And then also, um, we're going to be receiving Matt and Gemma Flanagan uh, into full membership of the Church on Profession of Faith. Just before we do that, uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and for the encouragement that you give to us. We thank you for those words, it is finished, that you have done a complete work through the cross and through the resurrection to give us hope and life. 
So we look to you this evening. We ask that you would help us that we might be inspired and as we turn to you in faith and in trust, as we go to, to that sense of, of the cross and of Golgotha, to realize that in history you came into to our lives, you died, and so we might be able to live. So hear our prayers because we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.